man. Welcome to patreon.com slash the Derek Lamont experience as well as the All Our Nonsense podcast uh, network. This episode, of course, will be early access to patrons. Um, if you do not subscribe to the Patreon, you do have to wait until it actually goes live on the free feed, Spotify, um, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, etc., etc., etc. Let me start off by saying this recording this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, obviously, you see the title. This is my review of The Many Saints of Newark, A Soprano Story. Um, I'm telling you right now, there are going to be spoilers. If you have not seen the film, it is available on HBO Max until October 31st. Um, having said that, again, if you have not seen the film and you don't want it spoiled for you, I suggest you watch the film first and then come back and listen to my podcast. If you have seen the film, uh, great, let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, I'm in a somber mood, to be completely honest with you. Um, the buildup for this film was so big for me because I'm a huge fan of The Sopranos. I believe it is the greatest television show of all time. I think David Chase is a genius. Uh, I love the fact that Matthew Weiner was on the writing staff for The Sopranos and studied at the foot of David Chase and also directed a few episodes of The Sopranos. And on June 10th of 2007, my 25th birthday, when the screen went black and we all thought our cable went out and that was the end of the show, something else launched. Matthew Weiner then took his talents and created Mad Men, and that launched on AMC not too short, not too long after The Sopranos ended. So I went from one phenomenal television show to another, and I still believe that these are two of the greatest shows of all time. This show holds so much weight for me. Um... You just kept hearing the rumblings. What is this thing on HBO, The Sopranos, The Sopranos, The Sopranos? It's a phenomenal show. I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And this is before the binge-watching era came along, right? On demand is kind of creeping up on us, but it's not there yet. So you have to be diligent with, um, with you know, being <laughs> in front of your television as, at a certain time to watch these programs. It's captivating. The characters suck you in. You want to believe that Tony is a good guy, despite all the things he does. But, um, truth be told, he's kind of a bad fucking guy, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, he, obviously he cares about Carmella. He loves Carmella, he loves AJ, he loves Meadow. His family, that comes first. And then after that, this thing of ours. Um, he, he lost some brothers, Jackie April Sr. Not a brother, but, you know, a friend who he grew, who, whom he grew up with. Pussy was, you know, like an uncle. You know, he was around when Tony was a kid. Silvio, around when Tony was a kid. Paulie, around when Tony was a kid. These guys mean something. Um, so when the, the announcement was made that they were doing The Many Saints of Newark, they're like, this is the Sopranos prequel. We're going to see young Tony Soprano, blah, 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 blah. Great. Fucking ready for it. Then they apparently changed the title. It was going to be just Newark, and then they decided to change it back. Um... I didn't find out till midway through production of the film. Somebody's like, do you know what, you know, the Italian translation is for Many Saints? And I'm like, no. And they're like, it's Moltisanti. And I was like, really? That's Christopher's last name in the show. And they're like, exactly. Well, Christopher is a baby because Tony's older. And that's when somebody's like, no, this is about Christopher's father. This is the story of Dickie Moltisanti. That's why the title is The Many Saints of Newark. In Italian, that would be The Moltisantis of Newark. Right. So this is Dickie's story. This is Christopher's father. And we do see young Tony Soprano. Now, I do have some problems, not with the film itself, with the marketing behind the film. Let me say this. Warner Brothers, with the first trailer that released at the end of June, I believe it was June 29th, they fooled us into thinking it was young Tony Soprano's story. Michael Gandolfini um, takes on the role that his father made famous. James Gandolfini, unfortunately, passed away in 2013. Um, so his son stepped into the shoes, much like O'Shea Jackson Jr. stepping in to play the role of Ice Cube in Straight Out of Compton, and Lil Meech stepping in to play the role of his father in BMF on Stars, which is a phenomenal show, and you should check that out if you have stars. So those are some big shoes to fill. Your dad is an icon for in, in all you know for all those roles. Big Meech, if you're not from the streets, but you know, but you know, you know. You know, if you know, you know. Big Meech, BMF, 
they had everything on fire. They had shit on lock. You know, they're partly responsible for Jeezy blowing up. Um, and they were just men of respect. So for Lil Meech, those are big shoes to fill. For O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ice Cube is like the godfather of gangster rap. You know, N.W.A., um, Lynch Mob, the Friday franchise, so many things Ice Cube was responsible for. The Are We There Yet franchise, now the big three, and so much more. Big shoes to fill. James Gimbalfini played a lot of roles, but Tony Soprano is the role, his signature role. When you think of James Gandolfini, you think automatically of Tony Soprano. So again, for Michael Gandolfini, those are big shoes to fill. I want to say this. The kid did a phenomenal job. Despite what some people say, I love this film. And it invoked emotion from me. And I have my caveats, but they're very few. They're very freaking few. I love this film. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, unfortunately, I knew the ending, um, about a week in advance because the film came out in the UK, I think September 22nd. I did the trailer breakdown. If you're listening to this on YouTube, the trailer breakdown here is here available. If you go to the comments, you will see that somebody spoiled the ending of it for me. So going into it, I knew what was going to happen. And it's almost not that much of a secret because... Dickie Moltisanti is nowhere in the TV show, so we know he meets his demise well before that. And then we find out in season four, Tony tells Christopher this is the person that killed your father and sends Christopher to kill him. Um, and then leading up to this, you know, we all kind of knew something's going to happen. Some things that we've heard about in the past of the Soprano family and the surrounding cast members and things like that. We're going to see some of those things. Um, I don't even know where to, where to start. Um, I was reading reviews and things like that. I read a really interesting one from the New York Post I want to share with you guys. Uh, Many Saints of Newark director reveals Tony's fate in Sopranos. And, uh, this is actually from Alan Taylor. He directed a few episodes of the, of the show. Uh, David Chase was going to direct the film. There was a family illness which caused him to step back and hand the reins to Alan Taylor. Um, Alan Taylor says, I have to go with Tony's Dead. Taylor, who directed several uh, Sopranos episodes, told The Hollywood Reporter of the highly debated, uh, hotly debated finale episode made in America, one of the greatest series finales of all time. In that conclusive scene, Tony sits with his wife, Carmela Edie Falco, who's played by Edie Falco, son, AJ, played by Robert Eiler, as he watches strangers enter Holston's of Bloomfield, New Jersey, as the show goes off while the Soprano family is mid-conversation. Um... Throughout the years, the leading theory for Tony's death has been that the mystery man seated at the counter of Holston's leaves the confectionery's bathroom with a gun and puts one into Soprano's head at point-blank range, hence the cut to nothing. Some people believe that when it blacked out, that was metal coming through the door. And I saw, I actually watched a video on YouTube where somebody explained that metal was basically Tony's uh, guardian angel. Tony could have been killed in the college episode, but the guy didn't shoot because metal was there. There's other situations where Tony could have been killed, but Meadow was there. It, Meadow basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, they explain it to where Meadow is Tony's guardian angel. So much so to the fact that Meadow changed her major a few times, if I'm not mistaken. But by the end, she went into criminal law to defend people of Tony's ilk. So for the longest, I believed that Tony was still alive. And then when they asked David Chase, he said, Tony's neither dead nor alive. I don't know if that means he's stuck in purgatory, but I think you have to die to end up in purgatory or, you know, it's all a big, you know, whatever. Alan Taylor says there's just too many signifiers in the final season. All too, all too familiar with killing off beloved char uh, characters. Taylor directed the episodes in which Johnny Sack, Christopher Moltisanti, and Bobby Bakla uh, were all bumped off in the sixth and last season. A lot of dead bodies in that last season and a lot of dead bodies in the last run of episodes. Bobby's was probably the worst. He's buying a, a model train and gets shot in a toy store. Um, Johnny Sack, of course, passed away from cancer. Phil Leotardo getting shot at the gas station in front of his wife and grandchildren. And then his wife 
you know, going crazy, jumping out of the van and leaving it in neutral or drive and the tire rolls over Phil's head. Um, <laughs> thank God, you know, thank God the, the grandchildren were babies because they won't remember. But um, it just that that run of those last few episodes was really, really crazy. Uh, New York Post goes on to say, and it seems that model train loving Bobby Bacala's death in the penultimate episode of Blue Comet holds the key to knowing Tony's fate, according to the director. The biggest one for me is, I think, the entire history of The Sopranos, there's only one line of dialogue that has ever been played back a second time as a voiceover, and that's when Bobby Bacala says, you don't hear the bullet when you're, kid. when you're killed. I'm sorry. He actually says that in Soprano home movies, and that's an episode I'm going to allude to in a bit when I start to go into the film more, because there's a callback from that episode that takes place in the film. Um, the plot twist was also touched on in Taylor's season six, episode stage five, when Silvio Dante goes into shell shock as Jerry Torsiano is shot point blank at a dinner table similar to Tony's theatrical fate in Holston's. Theoretical fate, I'm sorry. The scary thing is I didn't know what happened until after the shot was fired, Dante says later on. Guy walks into a crowded restaurant during dinner and shoots a guy point blank range. Other supporting evidence to Taylor's claim is that the mystery man, who's credited as man in members only jacket, is a likely callback to season six members only when Tony is shot by Junior, Junior Soprano, his uncle Junior, who I'm going to talk about in great detail in just a second. Um, <clears throat> I've often debated this since 2007, June 10th, 2007, when the show ended. If you had to ask me now, after seeing the film and the way that it ended, it has now made me shift to believe that Tony is dead because of the somber ending of the film. Let me just start by saying it's two hours in length. Um, it's a hell of a ride, especially if you're a Sopranos fan. There are some, some fan service moments. Uh, Junior's iconic line, he never had the makings of a varsity athlete that takes place. Uh, Tony scaring baby Christopher. That's very interesting. He says, uh, I don't know what it is. It's like I scare him. And the lady says to him, you know, babies know all types of things from the other side. And everybody at the dinner table looks at Tony crazy, which is a callback to Tony obviously killing Christopher. Um, Jesus, what else? Um, there's so many moments. There's just so many. Silvio being bald. And then when there's the time jump, we see Silvio with his padding to pay so you know anybody who had questions during the show is that Sills real hair because we've seen tony with his hair messed up we've seen christopher with his hair messed up we've seen paulie with his hair messed up uh we saw ralphie with his hair messed up bobby bacala with his hair messed up everybody but silvio and they've all kind of tussled a bit silvio's hair doesn't move an inch and i'm like that's definitely a fucking toupee um it's emotional. It just really is emotional. I have to say that. Uh, another review I read, The Many Saints of Newark, a busy, unnecessary, disappointingly ordinary origin story doesn't work. That's their opinion, and they're co completely entitled to it. The movie certainly has a pedigree. It was written by Chase with Lawrence Connor, who wrote a few episodes of The Sopranos, and directed by Alan Taylor, another series veteran. Jumping between time periods attracts the sentimental, education, moral, and emotional of the young Tony, who in 1967 is an 11-year-old pipsqueak played by William Ludwig. After a lot of introductions and plot developments, the story jumps to Tony at 16, now played by Gandolfini's son, Michael, who bears a striking resemblance to his father. Dead ringer for his father. And if we'd seen James Gandolfini in the 70s with long hair, dead ringer. His mannerisms, spot on. Um... There's a scene where he and Livia are engaging in a conversation in the kitchen. It's actually in the second trailer where he says, I'm always being accused. The way he points is the way that Tony points and the way that he says accused is the same way that, you know, older Tony Soprano would have said it. Movie spinoffs can be tough to pull off. Nothing felt at stake when I watched, oh, the first Brady Bunch movie, but its source material wasn't a critical fetish, something that inspired excited discussions on masculinity. The latest golden age of television and the effect on the industry, The Sopranos, though, was too good, too memorable, and its hold in the popular imagination remains unshakable. It casts a spell and the movie knows it, which is why it sticks to the tired template of a boy's own story rather than taking a radical turn, like revisiting Tony's world from Giuseppina's uh, or Olivia's or Harold's point of view. In the end, the best thing about The Many Saints of Newark is that it makes you think about The Sopranos, but that's also the worst thing about it. 
which I, I again they are entitled to their opinion in this article I love the film there were some things that I wouldn't have done but I love the film through and through the Many Saints of Newark does indeed look like a movie and that movie is Goodfellas which is a fa uh, an absolute favorite of mine neighborhood wise guys in pin sharp suits bicker with their beehive wives and ratchet up pity grievances into murderous vendettas all set to the sound of period pop bops if you've never seen the sopranos many saints may well look like a collection of deleted scenes from martin scorsese's 1990 classic it's even got ray liotta in it who does a great job who plays two characters ray liotta plays dickie Maltesanti's father and his uncle he plays a set of twin brothers which is a callback to the philly and patsy situation from the television show uh, he plays Aldo Hollywood Dick Moltisanti, who is Christopher's grandfather, and then he plays uh, Sally Moltisanti, who's been in prison for 25 years or so, which would be Christopher's uncle, who, whom he never met, I'm pretty sure. Um, that is, This isn't a complaint. Martin Scorsese's Seminole Mafia flick is a much-loved classic for a reason. Goodfellas is a vicarious pleasure, rich with seductive detail, the clothes, the music, the language, the thrill of violence. There's a moment in the very first episode of The Sopranos where Tony Soprano says, Lately, I, I'm getting the feeling that I came at the end. The best is over. What he means is, in this day, the, the time the film is set in, in Goodfellas, wise guys wore suits. They drove big Cadillacs. They dressed nice. They were sharp, dressed to the nines. By the time we get to 1999 in The Sopranos, it's not uncommon to see Tony in a tracksuit, a velour tracksuit. Not uncommon to see Big Puss in a velour tracksuit or Paulie wearing something strange, or Christopher wearing a, a tracksuit. Wise guys would have never dressed like that in the 60s and 70s. They, they just, there was a class about it. There was an absolute class about it. And this is taking you back to the heyday of what it meant to be a gangster. When I talked about The Godfather, The Godfather 2, Goodfellas, in my uh, series about Costa Nostra, and you can find that uh, on Patreon.com, obviously if you're a patron and then also you can find it on the free feeds but those episodes come out a bit later on the free feeds so keep in mind that i talked about how they romanticized the godfather the initial godfather they romanticized the american mafia you know sonny's carrying on a romantic relationship with somebody other than his wife don vito is very committed to his wife and family but he's also a murderer uh, nothing's more important than your family but he's also a murderer um michael very much in love with Kay adams doesn't want to do what his family does until his father gets shot and now he has to step up to the mantle but the difference in the godfather versus the godfather 2 couldn't be more than you know more day and night if possible don vito is very very much um he's held in high regard whereas michael is not because michael is a ruthless killer and even Kay says it in the third godfather which is not necessary to watch but she's like i respected you more when you were a common mafia hood you know, all this power and things you've acclimated over these years, but I, I preferred you more when you were just a common mafia hood. But this this film takes place during the time where we romanticize what it meant to be in the mafia. Um, again, Tony says, lately I'm getting the feeling that I came in at the end, the best is over. Goodfellas harks back to those best days, the days when Frank and Dino palled around with wise guys the day before Rico statues defamed organized crime, the days when stand-up guys put on a suit and not a tracksuit to smash someone's face in. Many Saints is a continuation of that rich period detail, and that's why I love it. It goes back. It, there are times where the score feels like, oh, this is a song that would have worked in Goodfellas as well. And I, I, I get that. I, and I wrote in my notes that the score is absolutely perfect. Um... Anyone who's seen Goodfellas a thousand times will probably lap this up. Many Saints broadens the scope of a mob movie. However, the screen is also filled with blazing recreation of New Jersey's uh, riotous uprising against racist violence in the long, hot summer of 1967. The Many Saints of Newark treads similar ground as The Sopranos in its intimate portraits, uh, portraits I'm sorry, of toxic families poisoning future generations, but also tells a wider story with the convulsive refusal to learn from the past, a chilling cycle of anger and self-loathing in homes and in the nation. If you're wondering why a Sopranos prequel is relevant in 2021, look no further than the scene in which white cops brutalize a black man and spark a wave of protest. The film shows troops sweeping the streets. Why is this important? The film was written well before George Floyd or any of these other things, but it also comes after Michael Brown and Sandra Bland and things like that. These are very common themes within the United States of America 
today. I am a black man and I'm sitting here talking about a film full of Italians. I gave you a series about films and television shows full of Italians who seem to have much disdain, much disdain for people of my color, right? But it's, it's entertainment. I understand that. I completely understand that. I don't believe that James Gandolfini was a racist. I don't believe that Ray Liotta was a racist. I'm just, this is my point of view. I could be completely wrong until it's proven that they were, then I'm going to stand on this side and, and believe that these are pretty stand-up gentlemen. Um, but while it's visually cinematic and belongs to a rich tradition of cinema, The Many Saints of Newark is inescapably part of a larger story. A feature film is by definition a standalone story wrapped up in a couple of hours. Except nowadays that isn't so, thanks to your franchises, your Marvel Cinematic Universes, and your Dune Part 1s, all setting up sequels to fill streaming services forevermore. Many Saints is far from a frothy franchise entry, but it does extend beyond the boundaries of its two-hour runtime. It is two hours, exactly. Maybe about, well, probably about two hours, I think 158, and then there's like so many minutes of credits. Um... And not just because of its links to the TV show we know. While it's on the scale of the movie, many saints stubbornly refuses the neatness of a movie's beginning, middle, and end. Anyone who remembers the infamously abrupt, infamously abrupt climax of The Sopranos can guess how much resolution many saints is prepared to offer, or at least makes you work for it, offering thematic resonance rather than anything as crass as an ending. Um... Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I don't think this is a bad article. I think that they point out some good things with the film and they point out some bad things. Um, here's the good things I'm going to start off with. The casting is phenomenal. Corey Stahl is junior, phenomenal. Vera Farmiga as Livia Soprano, phenomenal. John Bernthal as Giovanni Johnny Boy Soprano, phenomenal. Michael Gandolfini, phenomenal. Alessandro Nivola as Dickie, phenomenal. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is Harold Phenomenal. Patina Miller, who is the next one, you know, Broadway, and now she's take her, taking her talents to television. She plays Rock on Raising Canaan. Um, she's in this film as well. She did a great job in, in limited screen time. Um, filling the shoes of some of the iconic Sopranos characters, I thought they did a good job. I believe the guy that played Silvio was a bit over the top. Young Pussy looks like what Pussy would look like at that age. Young Polly looks like what Polly would look like at at uh, at that age. Um, there are some callbacks, you know, when Tony tells Christopher that, you know, there's a situation with Jilly Ruffalo, and that's eventually how his dad got killed. He's like, oh, you know, he took Jilly's eye out. When they brush the table off and throw the guy on the table, and they get the drill. I'm like, oh shit, this is where the eye gets taken out. But it doesn't happen. They just stick it in the guy's mouth and fuck his teeth up. But I definitely thought that that was going to be a callback. It felt like an Easter egg to that. Here's the thing. Again, if you're listening to this, we're 23 minutes in. And I, I let you know at the beginning. Um, I let you guys know at the beginning that there were going to be spoilers. Somebody spoiled the film for me. I'm not trying to spoil it for you guys. I'm telling you right now, stop before we go too far if you haven't seen the film. If you want to proceed, here we go. Um, Junior. Okay, Dickie, number one, Dickie Maltesani, tragic figure, tragic ending. Tony Soprano, tragic figure, and now I believe a very tragic ending as well. Corrado to me is now the most hated character in The Sopranos because of what happens in the film. Um, I was just, like I said, um, so they, somebody, yeah, goes in my YouTube comments and they're like, Junior had Dickie killed. And I'm like, wait, what? And then there are articles and Reddit threads and stuff like that. Junior's jealous. He was jealous of Tony. He probably was jealous of Johnny Boy as well. But yes, Junior has Dickie killed. And there was no real reason to do it. He just cursed Dickie because he wasn't him. And that was the hardest takeaway for me from this film, especially watching Junior stand in front of Dickie's coffin and pussies behind him like Junior, you know. And I think back to the episodes of the show 
there's not much interaction between Junior and Christopher. There just isn't. But when there is, Junior clearly has a disdain for Christopher. And now we know why. He had disdain for his father. And I'm going to go over the reasons why. Johnny Boy gets locked up. There is a scene in season one where Tony talks about his childhood to Dr. Melfi, where Johnny Boy takes Janice to a carnival and Tony hides in the trunk. And then Johnny and Uncle Junior get arrested at the carnival. They re reenact that in the film. You hear Janice, young Janice, screaming, Daddy, Daddy, what is going on? He's being taken off by the police, him and Junior. Tony comes out. Janice is like, Anthony, what are you doing here? The cops take uh, Tony and Janice back home. Livia flips out, get in the house. Janice runs in. Tony runs away. Anyhow, uh, Junior gets out. Tony, uh, Johnny gets hit with charges. And that's, if you've seen this, the, I believe it's the second trailer, the Livia crying uncontrollably there in the courtroom. And Johnny's just been given... No more than five years, but no less than two years. I think he did a full four. He did four or five, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to watch it again. When Johnny's going away, Junior tells the other member of the family, because at that point, Johnny's the top guy. Dickie works for him. Everybody else works for him. They work under him. Junior says, while my brother's away, everything goes through me. One guy says, what, do you have diarrhea or something? And they all start laughing. If you remember, if you're old enough to remember Rodney Dangerfield, his big thing was, I get no respect. And that's what Junior Soprano got. No respect. And he allowed it to eat at him. Now, again, I said Ray Liotta plays two characters. He plays Aldo Hollywood, Dick Moltisanti, and Sally Moltisanti. He plays Christopher's grandfather and uh, great uncle. Um... <sighs> Christopher Dickey ends up having sex with his stepmother. She's a young girl. She's about Dickey's age, if not younger. His father brought her back from Italy. And that's the woman you see Dickey in a lot of scenes with in the trailers. Um, Goodfellas, Friday nights were for the girlfriends, Saturday for the wives, or however it goes. They're all at the bar with their gumars. Junior's without a woman. Somebody says, hey, June, where's your, you know, your, your gumar? He's like, oh, she had a headache or something. And then they started talking about gravy. Somebody's like, oh, gravy train. And then Junior's like, you know where that comes from? It's the dog food. And somebody's like, and I think it was Dickie. He's like, this man just implied that your girl is out fucking somebody else and all you can talk about is dog food. That's one. Then when, when Johnny Boy goes away and Junior says everything goes through me, that's two. Those are two right there. We make the time jump, Tony's 16, Johnny Boy's coming home from jail. Junior picks him up. On the way home, they're driving through the suburbs. He's like, oh, this looks good, this looks nice. Junior's like, yeah, neighborhood's still good. Black family's moving on the block. Johnny flips out. What is this? Why didn't you tell me? Why are they here? And he's like, what do you want me to do, John? And Johnny Boy says, look at Dickie Maltesanti. His dad gets knocked off. He steps up. He takes care of his crew. He takes care of his family. That's three reasons. He's then being compared to Dickie. And, he, and then Johnny also says, and he's younger than you. There's three reasons. A member of their crew gets whacked a little later on. And they're at the funeral and it's raining. And this is the part in the second trailer where Tony and Janice are sitting on the couch and everybody in the crew is in the other room. And Tony says, I wonder what they talk about in there. It's raining. Everybody else walks out completely fine. Junior slips on the stairs of the funeral home outside and really hurts his back. And Dickie laughs. Number four. That's number four. So Junior's upset. About a month later, Junior's seen with a back brace on. And Junior never got married, never had kids. So I can't really say it was his Gumar. It was just a girl that he was seeing at the time. Junior's on top. They're trying to have sex, but he's got the back brace on and his back is still killing him. And the girl's like, maybe I should get on top. And it still didn't work. And Junior starts cursing. He's like, fuck you, Dickie Moltisanti. And the girl's like, he didn't even have anything to do with it. He, he didn't even push you. She's like, it's just any excuse for you to not fuck. Number five. 
And at that point, Junior was fed up. So when we hear, when Tony tells Christopher, this dirty cop killed your dad, and Christopher's like, yeah, they said he was bringing in a, uh, a crib for me. And Tony's like, they were TV trays, but whatever. And Christopher's like, and I think he says, well, it could have very well been a crib, but it doesn't matter. So we creep to the end of the, end, the film, and there's a truck that comes in. Silvio's like, the truck ain't going to unload itself. The guy's like, we got dinettes and TV trays. And there you go. So it was TV trays. And Dickie standing at the trunk of his own car, getting the TV trays out. Silent gunman comes up with silencer, puts two in Dickie. Next thing we know, you hear a payphone ringing. You see Uncle June walking across the street to the payphone and answers it. And the guy says it's done. And there was the confirmation. Junior had Dickie killed. Why? Because he was jealous. He literally had him killed because he was jealous. Now, that makes you think, what did that cop do for Tony to want to have Christopher take him out? Tony says, Christopher's like, why has the guy been around this long? He's like, well, he's a dirty cop. He's useful. Now that he's retired, we have no use for him anymore. And the guy even tells Christopher, whoever is, setting, whoever is doing this is setting you up. Christopher says to him, it doesn't matter. He wants you dead anyway and kills the cop. And that was one of the biggest points of contention. Are we going to find out if Tony was telling Christopher the truth? Now, the really eerie thing, eerie thing about this film is the opening. Um, there's Bruce Almighty, where Bruce gets the power of God. And he wakes up and he starts hearing all these voices. And it's people praying, which was crazy. And then he flipped it and put them all into email and just told everybody, yes, 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 yes. Whatever they prayed for, he gave it to them. Then I think it is Superman Returns. No, it's one of the, I don't know if it's Superman Returns, Brandon Routh, or if it's one of the uh, Henry Cavill Superman films where he's kind of floating outside of the earth and he hears voices and he springs into action and flies back down into the earth's atmosphere to save the day. The film opens that way in a cemetery and you hear all these voices and it's really, and I was like, this is creepy. I get it. All the voices you're hearing are of the people buried in the cemetery. And then one voice, one very familiar voice comes up and it's Michael Imperioli. And he's like, yeah, I did some stupid shit. But Moltisanti, that's a biblical name. And I still got fucked. And then it cuts to his dad and he's like, that's my dad, Dickie Moltisanti. And the little fat kid with him, that's my Uncle Tony. And that's the man I'm going to go to hell for. And then that's a callback to... The Christopher being in the situation and him telling Adriana, that's my Uncle Tony, and that's the man I'm going to go to hell for. And then we even hear Christopher's voice at the end, again, my Uncle Tony, the reason I went to hell. It's very eerie. It's very, very eerie. The most interesting thing, though, Edie Falco was called in to shoot a scene. Unfortunately, it didn't make the final cut of the film, but it was supposed to be the opening. Which leads me to believe this is another reason I believe this is all the confirmation we need that Tony Soprano was killed in the last episode. Now, I do know that Michael Gandolfini does want to do a sequel to this film, which would be the real coming of age of Tony Soprano. I think at that point, if they do that film, we have to see Tony, Jackie April, and uh, the rest of his little crew robbing, sticking up Feech Lamana's card game. I think it goes up into the point where Tony commits his first kill right before Meadow's born. I think you have to cover Tony and Car uh, Carmelo's wedding and things like that. Jackie April's rise. Maybe even see Richie take the jacket off of Rocky DeMio. Things like that. But for them to pull that opening, I feel like they're leaving it open for something else. And, um, God, it's very, very eerie. I, I really love the film, though. I really love the film. Um, the standout performance, in my opinion, is uh, Vera Farmiga as Livia Soprano. She got all the mannerisms down, and she even looks like what Nancy Marchand would look at like if she was younger. To the point where she wore a prosthetic nose, and the guy that plays Paulie also wore a prosthetic nose as well. 
Um, Dr. Melfi points out that Tony may have an Oedipus complex. That's where you have a fixation on people who kind of remind you of your parents. Even Carmella kind of looks like young uh, Livia Soprano. So, <sighs> Vera Farmiga just took this role and ran with it. And I believe, even in her short time in the film, I feel like she stole the show. And the coolest thing, the coolest scene to me, it comes from the first trailer where she's at Tony's school speaking to the guidance counselor. And uh, she does scoff when she's like, Antonio's smart. And she's like, I'm sorry, Anthony is smart. And she's like, well, he's got a D plus average. You can't prove it by me. But, you know, she's like, he tested very high. We're to the point where Tony, you know, Tony and Johnny Sack were having a conversation. And Tony told him, I'm, an, I, I, I'm a genius, John. It's been proven. Like, he has a high IQ. Again, a callback. Um. Yeah, Vera Farmiga stole the show for me. Corey Stoll did a great job as Junior Soprano, but I'm really conflicted because, again, now Corrado already was one of those characters like you can't really trust Uncle June. You know, he has tries to have Tony whacked in the first season. Him and Livia conspire. Imagine conspiring to take out your son and your nephew. That's fucking crazy. But he's also I'm sorry, I'm sorry, six reasons. The shot from the first trailer where Livia says he only listens to Dickie. Tony gets in trouble while Johnny Boy is in jail. He's running numbers at school. <laughs> only young Tony Soprano. And uh, Junior's like, I'll talk to him. And Livia says, he only listens to Dickie. There's six fucking reasons I just counted for you. Junior was jealous of Dickie Montesanti. And that's why he had him clipped. But Corey Stoll played that role perfectly. He sat there and had to eat a lot of shit, and eventually it built up and built up and built up. Well, think back to Goodfellas. Did Tommy have a reason for killing Billy Bats? No. But it's an ego thing. Go home and get your fucking shine box, you motherfucking mutt. Then he, what happens? They clip the fucking guy. It's the same thing. It's just that Junior, that Dickie wasn't being egregious or anything like that when you're italian they call it busting balls junior's got his balls busted six times in the film five if you take away the livia situation but that definitely it all that stuff is there to make you understand why junior had dickie killed at the end of the film it's all there for a purpose the one thing i don't like again there's one thing i'll say when Dickie's in his coffin at the very end, he and Tony used to do a pinky swear, and Tony imagines that Dickie's arm comes up out of the coffin and does a pinky swear, and then Christopher says, my Uncle Tony, the man I went to hell for, and of course, then they start the Sopranos theme song, which I had no problem with, um, and it ran through the credits. I don't like the Dickie sticking his hand up thing. Could have done without that. You could have had him lay there and had Tony stare at him, and then Christopher's voiceover say, my Uncle Tony, the reason I went to hell. And then you start building the, the Sopranos opening theme song and go just, you know, fade it out at that point. I didn't like that. But other than that, I have no problem with it. I didn't like the marketing because they made us believe we were going to see a lot more uh, Tony Soprano, young Tony Soprano. Michael Gandolfini is maybe in the film a total of 20 minutes, maybe. Um, John Bernthal is the head of the family at this time. And we don't see him quite often. Um, race plays a big part, obviously, the 1967 Newark riots. They erupted over a black man, you know, a black cab driver being assaulted by the police. Um, Dickie flies off the handle when he finds out that his Gumar had sex with a black man. He kills her and drowns her in the ocean, who turns out to also be his stepmother. Um, there's a lot to love about this film. There's some fan service, and you have to expect it. It's just like when when episode one, The Phantom Menace, came out. We knew that that little boy was Anakin Skywalker. There wasn't too much fan service there, except Obi-Wan saying to Qui-Gon, the boy is dangerous, master. Everyone can see it but you. Hey, and, and Qui-Gon, he is the chosen one. Yeah, they say he'll bring balance to the Force, but they don't talk about how he's going to tear it down before he does that. And then there's a lot of fan service in episode two after Anakin kills the Sand People and he's at Owen and Beru's home. You hear the Imperial March playing softly in the background. It's fan service. 
Well, it's fan service here as well in this film. It's all fan service, and it's meant to be somewhat of a love letter to the fans of the show The Sopranos, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's also a callback to the era where wise guys were sharp and wise guys were the coolest guys around. One of the greatest films in, in film, I'm sorry, one of the greatest lines in film history, Ray Liotta, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And this is showing you the heyday of gangsters. There's fan service, and that's perfectly fine, but it's cool that we get to see Holston's. One of the last shots of the film is Tony standing in Holston's looking outside the street, waiting for Dickie to pull up because he's waiting for his Uncle Dickie. And then what is the last thing we see of Tony Soprano? Tony sitting in Holston's with his family. We get to see Satriales, you know, stuff like that. We get to see the carnival again. We also get to see the beehive shooting incident. Now, when Janice tells a story in Soprano Home Movies, there's actually different people there, but, you know, Johnny shoots right through Livia's beehive. Um, I thought that was hilarious. We meet Joanne Blendetto, um, Christopher's mother, who is um, Tony Blendetto, Tony, Tony Uncle, uh, Tony Uncle Al. You know, there was Tony, who was played by Steve Buscemi, and there's Tony played by Gandolfini, and they were cousins, and he was actually Christopher's cousin. That whole thing is crazy because Christopher is technically Carmela's cousin, and Dickie is Carmela's cousin, but Tony calls him nephew through marriage, and there's a lot of stuff. Tony called Dickie Uncle Dick, but he also was told that Polly and, you know, Sill and Pussy were his uncles when he's a kid as well, and they're in the heyday. They're 26 and they're wise guys. They're not yet made, but they're in the heyday. And they're only about 10 or 11 years older than Tony is at this point. You know, after Tony commits his first kill, I believe Pussy takes him out for dinner. You know, and it, it reminds me of the Goodfellas when, when Henry gets arrested the first time, he thinks he's going to be in trouble. He comes out of the courtroom. It's a celebration. Oh, you popped your cherry. Everybody's happy for him. The film was the same way. It's it's about the, the the heyday of wise guys, and it calls back to Tony Soprano saying, I feel like I got in at a bad time. The best is over. You know, the Rico statues are come, have, have come in at this point, and organized crime is all but depleted by the time we get to 1999. But the film does a phenomenal job. I, I loved Ray Liotta's performance. I loved... Uh, I, I love Nivola's performance as Dickie. I love that he wanted to do all these good deeds, but he was still a guy that was running numbers and was having people killed and so on and so forth. Um, it's weird we see a guy show up as Frank Lucas. Um, it's interesting that they wrote that in. Very, very interesting. Um, gosh, what else? It, it's just so good. Um, Wall Street Journal also wrote an article about it. That was I was reading as well. Um, again, they kind of take it to task. The Many Saints of Newark review on HBO Max of Sopranos prequel falls short of equal. The Many Saints, uh, Many Saints of Newark. Uh, excuse me. No, sorry about that. Oh, that's right. I can't read the whole story. I forgot. There, there's a lot in here that I want to touch on, but they don't think that it, it measures up to the show either. Um, they say the prequel film that was supposed to relate the connections between an earlier generation of New Jersey mobsters and the one that would evolve decades later into the Soprano crime family seems unlikely to cheer the hearts of Sopranos fans. Even the pleasurable sight of Michael Gandolfini, Gandolfini, son of the late James Gandolfini, who played Tony in that series as young Tony, was never going to make up for the complete absence in this film of anything remotely reflective of the tone and color of The Sopranos, or of anything resembling a credible character or plotline. Calling a work a prequel is never going to make up for the absence of any trace of a connection to The Sopranos. Of blessed memory, one of the most brilliant achievements in the history of American television, Instead, Many Saints comes marching in with a saga of crime families at war as well as race war of sorts. The film begins with the New York Newark riots of the late 60s. Um, and then it says it goes on to have convoluted plot lines and things like that. I wouldn't go that far. I think that's a bit much. I think that's a bit much to say they're convoluted plot lines. It has a central theme. There is a reason for everything that is done in the film. Um, 
does it set up the show? No, because it ends in the 70s. The show doesn't come until 1999. So what it does is potentially set up another film where we can see the show be set up again. I, if I was writing the second film, if they were going to allow, if David Chase gets greenlit to do a second film, which some of, there's, these are few and far between. I've heard some phenomenal reviews about the film. That's number one. So the chances of them getting greenlit for a second one, I'd say are at least 60, it's 60, 40 leaning towards another project if you ask me. Um, but I know David Chase is absolutely furious with HBO and Warner for putting it on HBO Max. Um, if I was doing the second film, yeah, it ends, I, I would have it end in the hospital with Meadows' birth. I think that's the perfect place. That's right, you know, Tony gets his first kill. We, I, I think we're going to jump time periods as well. Meadows' my age, so, or she's a year older. So Meadow was born in 81, and the show takes place in 99. It starts in 99. So in 81, Johnny Boy Soprano, I believe, is still uh, still alive. I think he dies in 86. So you bring John Bernthal back. You bring uh, uh, Vera Farmiga back as well as Livia. You obviously bring Corey Stoll back as Junior. Michael Gandolfini probably cut his hair a little bit. Um, you bring him back. Silvio, Pussy, Pauly all come back. I think realistically you have to bring in actually tony b would have been in prison well no no he was out when meadow was born so you tony b and you see you know little christopher um jackie april we have to see jackie april um i think obviously he needs to cover the the, the feature lamana card game robbing jackie um ralphie Richie April, maybe him before he goes away. Um, yeah, Richie April is still around, so maybe he and Janice kind of have their thing going on. Uh, maybe we see Janice disappear for the West Coast, things like that, and, and her have a kid. The crazy thing about this film was Livia really does harp on, like, I, I love how they brought that out, that Tony and, and Janice sat around talking about Livia after she died, and, and she really did harp on them. And, um, you know, when Uncle Junior catches cancer, they talk about him. And th the film does a great job showing, like, Livia was really hard and kind of despicable when it came to Tony and Janice. Um, so I'd like to see Janice rebel against Livia a bit. You know, Livia talks about Janice, you know, in one scene, like, you smoke marijuana you smoke marijuana i suppose your sister comes in here smelling like a gypsy um tony's love of music was obviously shown things like that i thought the film was fucking fantastic i gave it eight out of ten i thought it was absolutely fucking fantastic to see people bash it ign gave it seven out of ten and i've heard some other really good reviews as well um i'm just lost like what did you guys think was going to happen you wanted 16 year old and, and again i blame it on marketing because the first trailer markets it like it really is 50-50 Tony and Dickie, where it's really not. It's a lot of Dickie and very little Tony. Um, but it's emotional because Tony and Dickie are separated at the end of the film, you know? And uh, Johnny Boy's there, Corrado's there, but Dickie, you know, that's his hero. It's, it's clear that this is his hero. And this is the guy he took after. And, you know, there's the episode where, you know, after Adriana gets killed by Syl, they're at Christopher's house with his wife and his new baby and stuff like that. And he's barbecuing. And Christopher's like, face it, you know, your hero, my father, the great Dickie Maltesanti, was nothing but a drunk and, a, and an addict. And Tony was furious with Christopher. How dare you talk about your father like that? Which another thing is we didn't see Dickie Maltesanti do any drugs in the film. So I don't know. There's a few things they left out, but again, if they if they did all that, it would just be fan service. Like, you know, HBO Max exists, right? Gossip Girl just got a reboot. Disney Plus is, exists. Now we're going to see Obi Wan versus Vader again. We're probably going to at some point, you know, they're going to have another lightsaber lightsaber duel because you have to fix. The lightsaber duel in The New Hope is absolutely terrible. It's the worst lightsaber battle in the Star Wars franchise, right? So they're going to have another duel to, like, break the Earth when they do it again in the Obi-Wan show. 
it's plausible you could bring back certain characters and do another Sopranos TV show. But again, I really would like to know, and I'm waiting, like I haven't bought a DVD in a while. I do buy digital films. Please, for the love of God, I would love to see that scene with Edie Falco that didn't make the film. Because I think that will be an eye-opener on whether Tony is dead or alive. And now, after seeing the film, it's very tragic. I 100% feel that Tony is dead. But I really want confirmation, and I do want another film. So, I thought the movie was absolutely excellent. It was worth the wait. Um, I've watched it multiple fucking times already, and I'm going to go back and watch it again now. So, I don't know, guys. Um, that's my time for today. Um... The film kind of put me in a mood, I'm not going to lie. It was emotional because these are characters that we watched on television for years and have rewatched for years. You feel like you know them and then you see this part of the story. It does fuck with you a little bit. Like Emotionally, it fucked with me, I'm not going to lie. So I thought the film was fantastic and uh, I hope you guys like it as well. But anyway, my name is Derek Lamont Jackson. As always, I encourage you to believe in yourself first and foremost because if you don't, nobody else will believe in you. Stay humble, stay happy. Wear your mask, get vaccinated, you guys. Enjoy. Enjoy the fall as well. Peace out.